Uh, uh, to set the tone for this meeting, I will read an extract uh, from chapter one, Bill's story, page 13. Um, my schoolmate visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrongs. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. The topic of tonight's meeting is working step nine with a sponsee and Tim uh, will share anything between 30 and 45 minutes on the topic, after which the floor will be open for questions rather than the typical sharing. And with that, I will now hand over to Tim. Hi, uh, Tim, I'll call it. Can you hear me all right, Alistair? Yeah, good. So I haven't drunk since last week, which is a very good thing. So I must be doing something right. Not even beer. Um, so by the time you've got your little sponsee to step nine, they've either completed their step eight list or they've had they've made a start on it and they've processed enough amends, um, enough step eights to be able to start making amends. As I said last week. Um, uh, a bit of insight and reality really helps in step eight. And a lot of that insight and reality comes in step nine. So uh, it can really help with a lot of people to get them to do a few amends before completing everything in step eight. Uh, there, there may be a willingness in principle to make amends to everyone. Of course, that must be there. But uh, in terms of the detailed processing of these relationships, uh, the reality, the, the contact with reality in step nine is immensely helpful. And it's much quicker to get people to get some experience of step nine first and then start to look at the rest of the detail in step eight. So we're now at the position of starting to make amends. And I get people to um, go through their pile. Let's say you've got a pile of amends to make. You go through the pile and you assess each one on, with reference to two criteria. The first one, am I able to make this amend? And this means you're clear, you're clear on what to say uh, where they are, how to contact them. It's all tickety-boo. Uh, and willingness means you're being, you're internally prepared to, if someone handed them the, you, the, handed you the phone, would you be willing to make the call right now? And to go through and to, so to sort all of the step eights in the pile between ones you're able to do, ones you're not able to do, ones you're willing to do, ones you're not willing to do. And to, to start with the ones where you're willing and able. And the reason to do this, there's no point in hitting yourself over the head with amends where you feel unable or you think you're unable for some reason or you're unwilling. If you make the ones where you're able and willing, you'll find all sorts of amends appear now to be within grasp in terms of either understanding what to do or being internally prepared to do it. So, so pick the low hanging fruit first. If you're cleaning, clearing a cupboard, you clear the items at the front first. You don't reach past them and try and scrabble things from the back. So start with the easiest ones or what you think are gonna be the easiest ones. Um, and what I get people to do is to do a mental walkthrough of the amend. So how they're going to approach the person, what they're going to say, what um, spirit they're going to do it in, how much detail to go into. And a lot of questions come out of this. And often people think they're unwilling and they're not unwilling. It's just they anticipate problems arising, very specific problems arising, if they make the amend as they're anticipating to do it. And those are very often legitimate and need to be dealt with. 
And so the answer there is not to work on willingness and to pray for willingness, but it's to look at what the concrete objections are, to work through those, and then you suddenly discover you're willing. So they do a, a, a walkthrough. Now, I'm going to be terribly rude about speaker takes. I hope you don't mind. Uh, there's rather a sort of a disagreeable tone that people sometimes take in speaker tapes on step nine, uh, a little bit sarcastic when they talk about their relationship with their sponsor. And they say, well, I went to my sponsor and said, well, can I make this amend over the phone? And the sponsor says, well, did you harm them over the phone? Ha, 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 ha. Uh, uh, and you've got to, you know, if you, if you, it says made amends directly. So, and it doesn't count, I've heard people say, it doesn't count unless it's physically in front of them. Um, now, I'm not going to go into detail why that's all uh, deeply unhelpful, uh, but I'm going to say what is helpful. First of all, let's look at what it says in step, steps eight and nine. It talks about making direct amends. Well, that means very clearly from the literature, given that in the step nine reading in the big book, it talks about writing letters to people. What it means is you somehow address the topic with the person rather than just generally trying to be a nicer chap or chapess. So uh, direct means to the person, not uh, with the universe in general. The phrase in person was available in 1939, but was not chosen. If what was meant was in person, they would have said in person. Uh, so direct means you're dealing with it, with the situation with the person. Now, the question of mode, uh, so the mode of communication is relevant here. Uh, and there are all sorts of different categories. So I walk people through these. First of all, you've got people you're seeing on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a regular basis. And with those, because you're seeing them the whole time anyway, you might as well just grab them when you see them say, you know, Susan, do you have five minutes? And approach them that way because they're used to interacting with you. But frankly, a lot of people that I had to make amends to, well, I wasn't a very nice person when I was drinking. I wasn't particularly mean except when I was trying to be funny but I was horribly negligent with people and they were having none of it they didn't want anything to do with me and the last thing that would have been right to do with these people is to insist on a personal audience with them uh, uh, as though you know I, I, I'm in a position to command such a thing and I'm absolutely not what it talks about in the book which is at the reference point is tact and consideration and on page 90 there's a brilliant line it says and it's on step 12 but it's pertinent to step nine it says you put yourself in their shoes and say how would you like to be approached if the tables were turned and a, a number of people have very kindly made amends to me in AA over the years. Uh, none of them needed to, but um, they, 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 I showed up on their step eight list so that they wanted to make amends. And well, what did I want as someone who is an amendee? Most of all, I wanted the process to be over as quickly as possible. And the phone would do. A text message is frankly good enough. I just, a little acknowledgement that you were wrong doesn't go amiss, but really, I don't want, you know, people have phoned up and said, hey, like people I barely know, say, hey, do you want to meet for a coffee? No, no, I don't want to meet for a coffee. I'm not sure who you are. <laughs> and also, like, I don't have enough time to have coffee with some of my best friends. So no, I did, can we, what do you, and then it turns out, oh, they want to make amends, fine. So, um, or will you be at this meeting or will you be, no, no, no. What you do, you say to the person, I would like to make amends, I would like to make amends 
to you. You don't go in with, let's have a coffee, let's go for dinner. You, you up front, first out of the gate, you say, I would like, I've treated you badly. I would like to make amends to you. Ideally, I'd love to be able to see you face to face. I totally get you won't have the time or even necessarily the inclination. So I'm going to put it in your hands, you know, face to face, video call, telephone call, WhatsApp message, Raven, skywriting, you pick, you pick. It's the person that is being made amends to that gets to pick the mode. Uh, I don't have, absolutely don't have the right to insist here. Now, as I said, we've got two types of people here. People we're in regular contact with uh, and who we see the whole time. And then people we've lost contact with. I've already dealt with the people we're in regular contact with. The ones that we're not must be approached. The initial approach must be uh, in writing. Occasionally, a phone call will be appropriate. I don't know about you. I don't like phone calls out of the blue, particularly. I'm always in the middle of something. And if some, if it's a phone call out of the blue from someone I haven't spoken to for, for years, my defences go up. I had a slightly tricky childhood. My defenses go up. I'm like, what's going on here? It's not my ideal mode of contact. And a lot of people are like this. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. Um, You know, maybe we'd all prefer just for people to take out adverts in the Times if they want to contact us. You know, that might be the best way. so I approach people in writing. I get people to do the same. To say, uh, and it's it's basically a sort of two move maneuver. So the first move is the approach in writing uh, to say, I would like to make amends. Here are the options. Uh, I'll, I'll wait to hear from you, and then if I don't hear from you within a couple of weeks, I'm going to send you a letter on whatever the channel is, if it's WhatsApp on WhatsApp, if it's on Messenger on Messenger, if it's email by email. I'm going to send you an amend contained in a document and you can read that or you can just delete it. The marvellous thing about this is there there have been some some, uh, tricky people in my life. Uh, Now, none of them have made amends to me and I don't need them to, so it's fine. But, but, but if they were to, I'm not sure I would want to read a letter, even with some of them, because I wouldn't necessarily, I'd think very carefully before reading material from certain people. Uh, I don't know if you've ever received an email or a letter and four lines in, you know you should delete it straight away and you wish you hadn't read those first three or four lines. Just the first three or four lines totally set you off. So the the brilliance of this approach, which was given to me, so I pass it on to other people, is if you're warning them that the next communication is going to contain the amend letter with all of the tricky stuff in it, it gives them the option to delete it without reading it and without discovering any of the content. Um, and also if you're warning them that you're going to give it two weeks and then send it, it saves you having to pester them. It means there's a maximum of two communications and then you're done. Um, a lot of people just don't want to be heard. uh, They, they don't want to be contacted. Message can be an intrusion. Uh, uh, Two, as long as you've warned with the first, it's going to be fine. Now, back to this in-person business. Frankly, ideally, from, despite what I've said, ideally, uh, uh, in-person is great. of communication takes place um, in person, which doesn't take place in other channels. Um, so it's good to lead with that. I would love to meet you. But I have to say there are lots of situations where other modes 
can actually be better. And it's very interesting. He's a Course in Miracles teacher in America who does one-to-one sessions. And he, I don't know if he, what his position is now. Historically, he would only do, this was over Skype, so before the whole age of Aquarius or Zoom or whatever, um, on Skype, he, he would only do audio calls. He wouldn't do video calls. He said, the video is distracting. You hear a lot more what's going on in people's voice over the phone. There's more communication over the phone than face to face. Very interesting. I think there's a lot in that. So um, uh, by letter as well. Um, I suggest to a lot of people that they put the amend, sometimes to put the amend in a letter, but in the letter say, I would love to meet to discuss further. Now, what this is doing is it's opening the door if the other person wants to, uh, make, to, to be spoken to face to face, to have a discussion. It's opening the door to that. But um, I don't know if you've ever had conversations with tricky people where you're very clear before the conversation begins what you want to say. But as soon as you start speaking, they take over and take the conversation in another direction. And even if you manage to say, like physically, you know, pronounce the words you want to say, the other person is already set off. They're already in their own little fantasy world and they're not going to hear it anyway. So the point, the point of them is not the form. So if you've said the words in person, you've done the job. No, the job is to communicate. The question is, which mode is going to communicate most effectively? Uh, Letters can be extremely intimate forms of communication. They are not necessarily avoidant. Sometimes the avoidant thing to do is to have the face-to-face conversation. Uh, whereas putting it in black and white, uh, it, it, it also, when it's in writing, it gives the endeavour a sense of gravity, your gravitas. You're pinning your colours to the mast. So it's a very brave thing. To, it's braver sometimes to do it in writing because they can show the letter to someone. Whereas if you have a conversation with someone, if they report it to someone, the person will think, well, maybe they said that, maybe they didn't. I wasn't there. So it's a very brave thing to put it in writing. Uh, It has a a tone of formality. Uh, It means I'm serious about what I'm doing here. So there are all sorts of advantages to doing it in writing. And it's absolutely not to preclude a phone call, a video call, a face-to-face conversation, a meeting. If they jump, you say how high. But it's getting the message across. If you do it in writing, you can be very sure that you're wording it correctly. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm in conversation with someone at the moment that is needing to apologise to various people in their life uh, for some some events, shall we say. And I've said to him... uh, start off in writing um, and it's all gone terribly well so far so that the the method is working Uh, start off in writing but I want you to send me I want you to send me the draft whatsapp message before you send it and I get the first draft oh Jesus you can't say that and it gets reworded and sent back and all the ones which have gone out have gone down I think they've gone down there's one I haven't heard back about but they all seem to have gone down very well point being um unless someone is a very good actor and learning lines that that who knows what you're gonna say in the heat of the moment things can come have you ever had something come out wrong I have Whereas when it's in writing, you can put it past someone else and they can, they can suck their teeth. They, I wouldn't say that. 
so you can make sure that it, you're absolutely communicating what you want to communicate. And a second reason why a lot of amends need to be in writing. Have you ever had a WhatsApp, a WhatsApp conversation with someone where you say something and then the other person reacts in a WhatsApp message and you look at the reaction and you're like, did you even read what I said? And you go back and you say, oh, can you reread what I said? I think you may have misread it. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. You're, you're totally right. Now, if that's an oral conversation, have you ever tried to say, no, you misheard what I said? Or you they said, no, I didn't. I know. I know what you said. I know what I heard. So uh, and then all hell breaks loose. So if there is a miss, if you've got someone who is prone to hearing things their own way, do not have a conversation unless it's absolutely unavoidable. Put it in writing because they can read it and reread it and reread it and show it to their friend, Sally. And Sally can say, actually, I think that's a pretty reasonable message. <laughs> I just that they've at least got if they want to look at it sanely. They've got the evidence in front of them. If it's an oral conversation, the way it goes into their memory is their first interpretation of what you said. It is not the words that you said. So even if they try and process the conversation afterwards with a friend, they won't be reporting accurately what the amending person said. So in writing is a super way to do it. Uh, as I say, it's not to preclude some sort of face-to-face, -face, but you want to edge back into people's lives, not launch on some self-important expedition, knocking on the door without knocking on the door without warning. Um, until people are confident with their uh, amends approaches, the written approach, and then maybe the written amend, if, if the written amend is going to be the beginning of the conversation with the person. Uh, I get people to run all of those past me until they're kind of, it's like things in the washing machine until, until the water's running clear, until the clothes are coming out clean. If there's any sense that things are going off tangent, on a tangent, then absolutely you know, bring them back again and again and again. Um, because it's bad enough to get the harm to do the harm. It's doubly injurious to get the apology wrong. And I can tell you, in my life, in the people around me, I see people more upset by bodged apologies and amends than by the original offence. Uh, people are pretty forgiving about things done in haste or passion or in reaction, but badly thought through amends. Ugh. And in particular, um, when you're getting someone to do the walkthrough and particularly when if you're reading the message, what you want to do for your sponsee is put yourself in the shoes of the person who is going to hear the amend or read the amend and say, if you were that person and you were really suspicious and difficult and having a bad day, what would you, what would you find wrong with this? What would, if you were just, that, that there's a, there's a sketch many years ago where uh, someone is in a restaurant and the waiter deliberately misconstrues everything that the uh, diner says and uh, so the, for instance, the, the, uh, the diner will say, uh, does the chicken come with vegetables? And the waiter says, it doesn't come, we bring it. And so what, and the whole conversation is like that. So you read the amend letter as though you're like, as though you're that waiter, as though you're just the most difficult person difficult and touchy and prone to reading things into statements so you want to read it from that point of view and if you do it like that if you imagine yourself at your worst then you'll pro uh, what again you want it 
to be rewritten and rewritten until you would not be able to find a problem with it as the legitimately find a problem with it as the recipient. And that's a really good way of a really good way of doing it. But you're also testing against the three principles of step nine, the except when to do so would injure them or others. Don't reveal new information unless the new information reduces the injury. Um, don't uh, involve a third party without their permission and don't take any action which is going to uh, impair your ability to be useful. But with the new information, uh, occasionally there are situations where new information reveals an action to be far more innocent than it was thought to be at the time. And that can be helpful. But the danger of going into any explanations about why the bad thing happened is as soon as you're explaining it, you're pointing the finger away from you towards the explanatory circumstances. So, well, it wasn't really me that said the bad thing or did the bad thing. It was the bad day that I was having. That's the real culprit here. And the, nothing aggravates amendees more than unwanted and unnecessary explanations. What people want to hear is generally is this. Um, I should, I did X, Y, and Z. It's taken me far too long to apologize for this. I was wrong for doing it. I regret doing it. I would like to make things right with you. How can I do that? Uh, anyone that does want to know all the gory details of the person's state of mind at the time is probably not a good person to share that stuff with anyway. <laughs> Why do they care? Usually it's because what some people are very intrusive at receiving amends, or if they're intrusive back in relation to the person making the amends, it's usually because they're minded to retain the grievance and they want more ammunition and you don't want to give them the ammunition. Um, uh, so to, to, to watch out for it when reading the draft amends. Now, if someone is going to, even when someone is going to make an amend face to face, I get people to write out what they're going to say and read it out. And again, all sorts of stuff comes out when they read it out. You think you can't say this, you can't say that. And in general, the whole thing gets compressed down. The one thing people need training on as well uh, is how to write a letter. Um, in other words, how to top and tail the letter, how to top the tail, top and tail the amend. Um, sometimes people's first draft amend letters um, are like, it's like opening an, a door and an elephant charges through the door. Like you're just not expecting what's coming and boom, and then it's all gone. It's like within two lines, the whole thing is over. Bye. Um, and so the letter has to be topped and tailed with some kind of introduction like, um, uh, you know, it's been many years since we've spoken. My approach to you may not be entirely welcome, but I've got a legitimate reason for contacting you. Um, uh, in the past, I treated you very badly and I'd like to set things right and, and specifically, the details of this are as follows. And at the end, you know, um, uh, I, I hope uh, uh, I hope there is some way I can make this right. I'm available for contact on the following details. If there, if there's anything you would like to add, if I've I've done my best to analyze the past, if I've missed anything, uh, 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 you know, feel free to let me know because I can be very dense about my own behavior. I can miss even very major things. So I've done my best, but I, I know that often falls short. So, so please feel free to tell me anything else I've done. And if I don't hear from you, I quite understand a lot of people will not want to respond to a letter like this. In any case, I wish you well in your future endeavors. So nicely topped and tailed. Um, this again gives it a sense of gravitas. There's nothing worse 
for amendees, especially if they're savvy about 12-step recovery. A friend of mine made an amends to a bloke in AA. They're always the worst. Oh, you'd think, you'd think people in AA would be great at receiving amends. I'm reasonably gracious these days. I'm brisk, but gracious. Uh, but some people are mean, just. So my friend made amends to someone and they said, oh, you're making amends, I see at last. What am I? Number 37 on the list. So it, it, it mustn't seem like a dead exercise. It's got to have some humanity to it and something personal to it. So that's got to be in there as well. These are very, very difficult things to do. And people can't do this on their own. They need a lot of handholding with this. And they get better during the process, usually usually by the end, that they're, they're pretty much, you've heard of the self-basting chicken. Well, most people are self-basting chickens by the end of the process, but not everyone is. People come in with different degrees of damage in AA, and that's fine, and we have to work with that. Um, with the money, I'm going to say one thing about the, the money. So we touched on the money situation last week. What I get people to do is uh, tot up all of the financial amends and these or schedule them out somehow. And these fall into three categories. Number one, legal debts, debts which, if not paid, will legitimize someone making a claim against you through the courts or um, a collection agency coming and taking your flat screen or your pug or something um uh so legal debts second category um is debts which people know about but they're not really legal debts so friends and family or uh debts where uh, as far as they're concerned it's written or you haven't paid it back but as far as they're concerned it's it's um water under the bridge and they're not going to come after you for it in any way the third category is debts which no one knows about now um there isn't a sort of standard algorithm for this but you you want people to, to they need to know the worst of the financial ones before they even uh, start to let people know they're paying back money or start to pay back the money because the last thing you want to do is for them to sort of pay, you know, 10,000 pounds back to their auntie Janice, who isn't even asking for it, whilst the bailiffs are knocking on the door and the children haven't got anything to eat. So you, 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 you've got to look at the legal debts first, basically. And the best way to do this uh, is you point people in the direction of debt consolidation agencies and similar and, and uh, find a way to get everything consolidate, consolidated into a single affordable monthly payment. Most of those are corporate. So although it has to be paid back, it, the pain, uh, the, it, it affects individuals at the end of a chain, but they don't feel the pain the same way that individuals, friends and family do. So although it needs to be dealt with very urgently, it's not necessarily what you want to pay off entirely first. You want that to be on a reasonably long tail whilst you deal with category B. So you get the, 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 the courts and the collection agencies and the banks and the credit card companies off your back, for, uh, off your back first. And then you can breathe. Then you've got time to consider the other things carefully. Um, if there are any particular egregious financial um, amends uh, or financial harms which require particularly urgent, do need to be addressed very, very quickly, then obviously they get, those go to the top. But a very good way of doing the financial amends with the second tier, with the friends and family and acquaintances and so on, is to work out the total, work out the monthly payment you can make without making yourself destitute, but nonetheless making it hurt. And then you divide that 
proportionately across all of them so you can contact all of them at once because i don't think it's right to make to, to, to be the one to decide to make certain people wait there are exceptions to this there's a very very there's you know there are endless variations of this so one there are these are general principles um when all of the friends and family and acquaintances are paid off then you're going to have that frees up your finances and then you can accelerate the payments to all the corporate ones and start hacking down the list of uh, ones that they don't know about. Um, anyone who uh, rejects the finance, the, re the, the repayment, um, then uh, the amount still needs to go out of my pockets. This is what I did. Um, I would ask the person to nominate a charity and then that goes on the third list, the list of ones which who are not expecting the money because obviously you don't want to be paying money to a charity which is not expecting it or needing it or wanting it right now whilst your auntie janice is waiting for her money back uh, because that's going to affect your relationship with auntie janice the charity it's arm's length so uh but something needs to be done because and the principle is it's not my money uh the other thing you need to help people do because most people will not think of this and if they think of it they won't know how to do it to go to a website where you just google something like what is a hundred pounds in 1971 worth now and to add inflation into it so whatever you're paying back now reflects the change in value of money over time um and say so one thing about uh, uh living amends uh, i'm slightly allergic to the term because often the notion of living amends is used uh, or rather such living amends are used as a substitute for having a conversation with anyone at all now there are situations where the conversation can't be had for a myriad of reasons and one has to revert to this rather indirect way of making things up to people um, but my take is uh, step nine is completed when you have made all of the approaches and had all of the conversations that you can have. After that point, there may be follow up requested by the other person, uh, and that could be a lifelong thing. Now, it, one mustn't feel that one's under some lifelong burden. It should be a lifelong um privilege frankly to to be able to do something good in return for all, all of the harm that one has done but one mustn't see it as that one hasn't completed step nine so with those follow-throughs what one can be is permanently current you can be current with the payments you can be current with the other follow-through actions so you don't feel as though you're constantly paying a debt because i don't think that's that's right i i think your your debt is paid morally when you're current as of today um, as to sort of behaving well with people, the long period of reconstruction it talks about in page on page 83. I think one's supposed to be doing that in step 12 anyway, practicing these principles in all our affairs. So I think it's already covered in step 12. The danger, and this is very commonly done in the UK, I think it's changing last few years, but historically people basically not make amends and then say, well, I'm making living amends. And by that they meant, not being a jerk on a daily basis, which is already covered. So you're taking step 12, the not being a jerk bit of step 12, and then you're double counting it and saying, well, that's also my step nine. So, hey, I've done two steps at once just by being a normal person. And I don't think that will do in most cases. Um, uh, oh, last thing, uh, that on some American tapes, uh, it's very common for people to say to for it to be suggested to say to someone, uh, what can I do to make this right? Uh, um, or something to that effect. Um, I think one's got to be careful with that, to say that to people who are morally and psychologically sound. 
Because if you say that to people who are not morally and psychologically sound, and then you have to not do what they've asked, you've now caused a further harm. So one must be extremely cautious about that and deploy that tactic with only with people where it's reasonable to do so. So I think that's all the basic stuff on step nine. Um, so Alistair, I don't know if you want to go over to questions now. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, as uh, Tim mentioned, this uh, meeting, the meeting is now open for questions, uh, which can be done by the raised hand function in Zoom, or you can message me through the chat function, which is open, and, um, or if, that, if nothing else works, just wave violently at the camera and I'll, I'll, I'll call on you. And with that, I'll open it up for questions. Thanks. Angus. Hi, thanks. Um, thanks, Tim. How do you deal with amends to people that are no longer living? Okay, so this is this is standard procedure. Uh, you write a letter as if they're still alive. You find an old person in AA at someone my age or older to hear you read out the letter. Um, preferably someone that, ha but it has to be someone that's basically completed all their amends themselves, understands this process, someone kosher. You, you, you can't go to just anyone. You've got to be careful with this because it, it can set people off like firecrackers. If they haven't made their amends or if there are any amends they haven't made, they will react badly to you wanting to do this with them. Um, but, you know, what one tends to find over the years, you know, people in, in recovery who've been sober a long time, people in their 60s, people in their 70s. I don't know why the age thing makes a difference. It's like reading things to your grandparents. They can be a sort of safe uh, recipient. So you read it to them. Um, and it's as though the person is standing in the stead of the person you're making amends to. I, it gets termed by some people a proxy amends. Uh, the other thing you can do, and this is a, an and or, uh, is to uh, write a letter and go to a place which is significant for you and them and your relationship or significant to them or somehow reminiscent of them. So a friend of mine was making amends to someone who's Dutch, who he had known in America or I think in America and, and somewhere in the Caribbean. And when he went to, to make amends, the chap had died and uh, he went to the Dutch church um, in London, which is a lovely church, by the way, if, if you're ever in, in that part of town. Lovely. Uh, they often have exhibitions in there. Um, but he went in there and he made he, he read out a letter. He had a very powerful experience. And the third thing you can do, you can say, right, God, I need to make amends for this. Uh, I will need to make indirect amends to the universe somehow. Uh, you show me how. And I'll give you one example of where this it's not just dead people. Sometimes you can't find the person because you don't have enough of a name to go on. And there was a chap from Cardiff who I when I was 15, I treated very, very badly. I met him on a on a orchestra course. Uh, I've never been able to trace him. A very sort of a very, very common name. And I'd never been able to trace him. Uh, and I did my absolute best. I try, I've tried repeatedly. He's on the sort of list of can't finds. Um, and I pushed the whole thing up to my higher power. And then through a curious set of coincidences, uh, someone in AA in Cardiff uh, who knew a friend of a friend called me and said, look, I've got a problem that I need to talk to someone about from my childhood. Um, and he was, he was still very upset about a particular thing that had happened when he was 14 or 15. Now, it, the story is not going to be, oh, and it was the same kid. No, it wasn't the same kid. Just in case you want one of those, you know, podium endings. Uh, it wasn't. But 
the point is, I was able to help him through his to process what had happened to him at that age. And that's maybe as close as I can get to making amends in that particular case. Maybe it would be too incendiary for me to uh, make amends directly to that person, which is why I haven't been able to find him. Who knows what the universe is doing there? But you will be offered an opportunity by the universe to make amend, to, to redress the balance, to settle the accounts with the universe. If you keep, if you're willing and you keep your eyes peeled and your ears, if you can peel ears, I'm not sure if you can peel ears, but you know what I mean? You, you pay attention and the universe will provide you with an opportunity. Thanks, Tim. Harry, you have a question. Sorry. Hey, everyone. I'm Harry. I'm alcoholic. Thanks, Tim. Um, so, on the phrase you just used, "settle the uh, settle the uh, score with the universe." Um, so, I understood that I, in my mind, I have the amends as an expression of regret, sorry, plus an attempt to put something right. So, I've stolen the money. I'm going to repay the money. I've I've drunk your wine. Am I off to repay that? You know, I'm going to replace the thing I took, took and so on. But on emotional harm, when I've been a real terror with someone, um, so most of most of the people I went out to were in that category. I've just been incredibly unpleasant and rude, and I, you know. And for most of them, I did actually say, "Is there anything I could do to put it right?" And maybe in some cases that was mis misjudged. And almost no one took me up on it. No one said, "Oh well, you can wash the car to make up for you being rude." But a couple of people who I'd been incredibly unpleasant to expected as a result of my amends that we were now going to be besties and that we I would be making amends by now being their friend for example um, so I wondered if is is the is the apology and the sincerity of, of coming out to someone the putting right itself like I've given the opportunity to forgive me now I'm straight with the universe or is there something I go beyond to do to put the emotional harm right does that make sense yeah, I, I think this goes to what the one of the core difficulties of amends, which is most things you can't put right per se. So emotional suffering can't be uh, reversed, uh, except on occasion. I mean, that there is such a thing as healing, and uh, often the other person's acknowledgement of what they did wrong is the missing ingredient which permits the person to heal. But the problem, it's as though that the real harm is not the emotion at the time, it's the sticking of that emotion in their crawl. Um, and what the amend does is it removes that little bit of grit stuck in the crawl so that everything can flow again. Uh, I can't tell you how often I've seen situations where someone said, I don't care. I just need them to admit they were wrong. And then, then we're good. Then we, because it's a matter of etiquette if there's been some very bad behavior. Um, with old friends, I'm sure there's a Sondheim song about this somewhere, with old friends, yet yeah, there is the most that there is the most frightful risk of being lumbered with some crazy person because you know you've made amends to them now you've you know, you've really opened the door. Um, I think it's wise to scan your amends for high risk individuals and to make sure that those amends are done with the greatest possible formality. <laughs> um, uh, I think this is true with a lot of exes, that in order to avoid, one must make amends to the exes somehow, um, I, th I believe, uh, as long as it fulfills all the criteria in eight and nine. Uh, but one mustn't make amends in such a way that you cause, you know, a flare up of their, you know, romantic gout. And, you know, you set them off for another six months because that can happen. So one must be sort of very Jane Austen about certain types of amends in order. Uh, uh, and also, 
Um, some people actually say in the amends, my sole purpose here is not to reinitiate a friendship or try to recapture the past or to try to launch us on a new adventure. I simply want to set right the past. And, you know, at the end of the letter, and I wish you, I wish you well in all your future endeavours, which may... By the way, I mean, you know, the way the English always means something else by what they're saying. What that means is I never want to hear from you again. I wish you well and all you. It, it seems so nice <laughs> and it is, but it's a very clear boundary as well. It means we're not going to be chatting much. There might be a couple more exchanges, but we're pretty much done here. So I think uh, as long as one's wary of that, um, I think it all comes under the, the, the category of with, a, with emotionally tricky people, then you, you have to be especially careful in terms of tact and consideration, how you're making the amend. So I don't know if that helps. Oh, by the way, just one, one thing on people reacting badly. Um, yeah, again, as, if, if you're like, I was so unpleasant and difficult. Um, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to have anything to do with me uh, after none, none of my first round of amends resulted in, you know, being cozy with anyone again, but I was cordial with afterwards, which is about as good as I can get. So there we go. Anything else? Thanks, Tim. Uh, Seamus. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Good. Yes, uh, thank you so much for that, Tim. I mean, it, it chimed with a lot of what I've come to believe. It was nice to have, have those instincts confirmed. Um, where does, how do I frame this as a question? Um, Starting with the text in the, in, in, in the big book, so it has a lot to say um, on step nine, more, I think, than virtually anything else. Um, and you've got this series of, uh, of case studies there, which um, I think you know, around here, good old-fashioned AA, um, was, when I first came around, was regarded as, you know, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> um, might have applied in 1930s America, but um, not really relevant um, right here, right now. But connected with, I think there's a kind of immediacy to it, that, that, that everything in the big book is described as being, is happening very quickly. It's in the white heat of recovery. Um, and that wasn't the way it was around here. I mean, I myself didn't get to step four until I was about three years sober. Um, when I did get there, I, I, I did the work fairly quickly, but it was a bit patchy. Um, and I did it um, mainly because the sponsor I was working with at the time was about to leave the country. I didn't want to start again with somebody else. So when he did leave the country and became severely unwell, I was kind of stuck on the cusp of the cusp of step eight. I had the list um, and I had done, I did the, did the analysis, but the actual execution of, um, of step nine was, was rather hit and miss. Um, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, the results of that were, actually surprisingly good, um, which makes me think that maybe one shouldn't overplan these things. In the main, people were presented to me and my responsibility was not to duck, duck the opportunity when it came. I, I needed to rise to the challenge. So I needed to know what I'd done so that I could um, be sort of nimble on my feet and say, look, you know, I was an arsehole. I'm really sorry. I hope, hope I won't, won't be doing that again. Uh, and in the main, that went quite well. But after about seven years or so, I was back in the doldrums. I was back on page 52. I knew I needed to do a retread on all the steps. And I suppose my question is, when it's no longer in the white heat, but you're doing a retread, perhaps 10 years after the event, okay, there'll be some new ones, some new offences that have been caused. It certainly were in my case, actually. But also some festering things from the first time around. Um, what does that mean? It, is it a good idea, you know, to dig up old bodies that may be sort of well decomposed um, and uh, and expose them to the um, 
to the lives of the day. I mean, in, in my case, some of these people had actually died. Some, some of my loose ends were people who had been alive, if I addressed it quickly enough. But by the time I, you know, finally got around to it, they, they were they were dead. Um, so what, to, to wrap all that up, so what, what, con what considerations apply? What variations, if any, might apply um, when you're coming back to it um, 10 years after the event, you haven't been drinking, but you may have been an asshole uh, once in a while. Um, and you've got some new things and you've got some old things which remain unamended from the first time around. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, it's all very interesting. Um, I think the first thing, that situation is very common uh, to have a rough and ready first steps eight and nine and then have to revisit the whole question later on. Now, certainly that if the, as it were, the hatchet has been buried, you leave buried hatchets buried. So if you've actually made amends to someone, no, you don't dig it up. Uh, but the thing is about the amends that haven't been made, then this is the point. There has been no funeral. The body hasn't been buried. It's decomposing in your living room, you know, between you and the television. So every time you watch Netflix, you see the pile of decomposing bodies in front of you. The point is to actually now bury them. They should have been buried a very, very long time ago. So I, I think the, actually the urgency is even greater after a number of years. Um, very often people who are so, and this, this is not to talk about you because I, I, I don't know you very well at all, but it's very common for people who are sober a long time to experience um, uh, what does Chuck Chamberlain call it? Obsessions of the mind. And as we know, obsessions of the mind can sometimes tip over into the material world and we can find little behaviours which are exciting and interesting to divert us for five years or so. Um, behind lots of serious acting out with you know, sort of sex, romance, gambling, food, those are the main ones. Um, there are very often unfinished amends and the unfinished amends very often match the areas of dysfunction. So I think the, the urgency is very great, really. Uh, what's different about it? Uh, so, so the passage of time does not diminish the necessity or the urgency of the amend. In fact, if anything, it, the reverse happens. What is different is the approach to the person one's making amends to, I think, must acknowledge the outrageous amount of time it's taken to get around to this. Uh, because they're going to be outraged anyway. So you might as well take that on the chin up front. So the first thing you're apologising for is, is for taking so long to get back to them. Um, but otherwise, I think it's pretty standard. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any difference. That what does happen, though, the longer you're sober, I think the more morally punctilious you get. Uh, so there are certain harms... Uh, not, not every amend is, uh, you know, some grand apology for a terrible wrong done. Sometimes it was a, a, an expression of thanks, which was not given at the time, but, with, but which was definitely due. Or we were, uh, there was a, a teacher at school that was enormously, helped. I was very troubled. Uh, there was a teacher at school who was enormously helpful. And uh, when I left so it was a boarding school. When I left there, uh, it was very clear I was heading in the wrong direction. You know, that the pundits would not have had me uh, recovering and having a, you know, a reasonably successful, happy life. And I'd never got back to her to tell her that she had helped me and that things did work out in the end. Um, and she came into my consciousness after many years sober and it needed to be dealt with. And I dealt with it. And through a very, very strange set of coincidences, I managed to find her. And uh, it was a wonderful thing to do. 
So I think one's spider sense increases over time. That must be listened to. All sorts of things will come up in one's consciousness which need dealing with. And the your model for this is uh, an American AA from Riverside, Chicago, Illinois, called Paul M., Paul Martin, who wrote extensively for the grapevine. He was brought in uh, by... Uh, into AA by, I think, the first AA in Chicago. He died with about 62 years of sobriety, not actually that long, that long ago. Uh, but he talks about the enormously beneficial effect of really going back and dotting the I's and crossing the T's with amends, even many, many years later, and how when he was in his 60s going back and things which had come up in his consciousness from his childhood, which he went back and dealt with. And I think in the last, in my, my own program, the last five years, the mo- apart from sponsoring people, the most important things I've done have, in terms of clearing my consciousness have been um, uh, what looked like relatively small indiscretions or oversights or, or whatever that I've had to make amends for. So I think it's an ongoing process. You remain spiritually open and all sorts of things will continue to call out woodwork and when they do you deal with them so that's my answer on that thanks Tim anybody else <clears throat> my name's Dan I'm an alcoholic sorry Alistair I'm just going to come in Tim can I just ask you something to qualify a statement you said, and I hope I heard this right because I was I was um, dealing with the screaming child at the same time. But it's something that really stuck with me. Did you say that the area that the problem was coming up uh, when I think you were talking in terms of uh, sex, money, food was related to the area where you needed to make amends? Is that what you said? And if you did say that, can you sort of clarify what that means for me? Thanks. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a it's a big subject. This, um, but if you'll allow a story, which is about a minute and a half, there is an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think it's somewhere in season two or season three. You'll have to watch both seasons to be sure. Where there is a, but you're going to be doing that anyway. Um, the, <laughs> where there was a school where uh, whenever at night two people would come into a particular, if it was a boy and a girl were alone in this particular corridor, they would start to play out like a script and a gun would appear and one would shoot the other one. And it was like they were possessed by something. And then afterwards, they couldn't work. They had no idea what had happened. They had those sort of vague recollection. And the fact is, unresolved psychic situations will seek a way to re-manifest in order for me to deal with them. So the reason why I would recreate for years disastrous friendships and situations and sponsorship relationships and jobs is because I hadn't resolved the past, not fully. I hadn't fully forgiven or I hadn't fully made amends. When I fully forgave and fully made amends, the bond was that there was a resolution there. So there was no need for me to create the situation. Earl Purdy talks about in relationships, like the, the unholy relationships. So unhealthy relationships where with each new unhealthy relationship you're taking the prime features of all of the previous relationships bundling them into this new scenario in fact looking for someone to perform a historical a composite historical reenactment of all the past relationships in order to get the ending to change But because the setup is the same, because the frame of reference is the same, the ending can't change. So it all turns out the same until the reason for the sick dynamic is eliminated. Then that sickness 
stops. So it's a very it's a it's a it's not a straightforward issue um, to, to, uh, to understand. You've got to see it a lot playing out in your life before it 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 becomes clear. But I think that's the that's that that's the the explanation for it in brief. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Anyone else? Uh, okay, with that, I'll, uh, I'll hand it back to you, Tim, if you could close it with the serenity prayer. Yes, so um, uh, if you could help me close with the serenity prayer using the words God as you do or don't understand it. God, God. grant me the serenity, the serenity. to accept things, things I cannot change, change. Courage. courage to change yeah. things I can. Yeah. And the wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. I only have eyes for you, for the Buffy fans out there. Brilliant. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Season two, episode 19. Go straight for it. <laughs> You're never going to watch it, Alistair. (laughs) There's a chance I might find that episode, but there's no way. When Tim said it's either in two or three, there was no way I'm going to watch them all to find it. (laughs) Right. Sorry, everyone. I actually have to close this off. We um, close this meeting down. I will stop the recording.